Good afternoon. We are together for our Friday afternoon Arab Shabbat Torah Shir class with Rabbi Akiva Zweig, Rosh Yeshiva of the Talmudic University and also of Florida and also the uh, spiritual spearhead of the Hemisphere Torah educational program. Uh, today, uh, the rabbi is going to be discussing Parsha's boat during our weekly Henry and Lisa Manusheri Parsha Shear. Uh, the topics will be facial recognition, as well as closing and opening portals of communication. The month of Shvat is dedicated by Frida Greenbaum in memory of beloved parents Anna Henya and Max Motol Pinchas Five Lowitz. Holocaust survivors on a daily basis taught their family unconditional love, honor, humility, and respect for family, friends, and community. Their commitment to Jewish traditions, open hearts, and home demonstrated their devotion to the survivor community, Eretz Israel, and they served as an inspiration to their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. I can speak from my personal experience and acquaintance with Frida Greenbaum, that she's an extraordinary person, a great supporter of Torah, and one of the key organizers of the Wednesday Shear uh, uh, that, that, that the rabbi uh, has such an ex enthusiastic following uh, uh, to attend. Uh, at the end of this Shear, there will be a recording posted for those who want to follow up or share with others. There's also a podcast and a YouTube channel where you can follow uh, Rabbi Akiva Zweig's teaching. Thanks again to all of our sponsors. Keep us in mind for the coming months. And without further ado, Rabbi Akiva Zweig and Parsha's bow. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope that uh, wherever you are, you are enjoying. Rebutal is in the snow in Lakewood. Um, I'm in the snow in New Bloomfield, Pennsylvania. And many of you are in the warm, balmy climate of South Florida. In addition to the sponsorship that Frida uh, has graciously done for this month of Shabbat, Me'ilu Nishmas, her incredible parents, uh, we have a special additional sponsorship today, Me'ilu Nishmas Miriam Bas Avraham Shimon. This is the aunt of the Galbit family, Robert Galbit and uh, his brothers, a very hush of a woman, and uh, they wanted to dedicate this class, Me'ilu Nishmas, their aunt, Miriam Basavraham Shimon. I know we join both uh, Frida Greenbaum and her family and the Galbits and their extended families, wishing that these Nishamos should have an aliyah and that the merit of our Torah study should be a benefit for them and for ourselves, of course, and for Kali Israel as well. So I would like to begin our Parsha discussion by pointing out the interesting phraseology that. Paro uses when he tells Moshe to never communicate with him again. After the plague of darkness happens, this is Perak Yud, uh, towards the end of the Perak, uh, basically sentences 24 through 29, Paro says to Moshe, you know, that, that when Moshe said, listen, we're going to take all of our animals and everything, we're getting out of here to go serve Hashem, uh, Paro says, get away from me, be careful. Don't continue to see my face because the day that you will see my face, you will die. And Moshe says, you know what? You're right. 
I will no longer continue to see your face. So it's interesting that we have an emphasis on this idea of don't see my face. Well, why is the Torah making a big deal out of the concept of seeing his face? You know, normally if a king doesn't want to see someone, they say, you are banned from the kingdom. Get out of here and never return. What's this idea? Don't see my face because the day that you see my face, you will die. And Rosha even ratifies this idea, this idea by saying, you're right. I will no longer continue to see your face. Now, in addition to that point is the fact that Moshe does continue to talk to Pyro after that sentence, because that's just the end of the plague of darkness, that after the plague, Pyro refused to let the people go. But then Moshe continues to warn Pyro about the impending doom of the plague of the firstborn sons. So says Rashi that Moshe didn't actually leave Pyro's palace. He had a communication with Hashem uh, right there uh, that was necessary at that time because Moshe would no longer come back to Pyro. And Moshe warns Pyro that all the firstborn are going to die. And he concludes, Moshe concludes with saying that all your servants at the, you know, with the, with the smiting of the firstborn, all your servants are going to come down to me and they're going to bow to me saying, get out, you and this nation. And afterwards I will go out. <clears throat> and then the Torah concludes and Moshe leaves from in front of Paro with anger. They say Moshe, me'im Paro, Moshe leaves, Bahari af, he's angry. Now it's very interesting because what's Moshe angry about now? Talk about the delayed reaction. You know, this is uh, many times already that Moshe Rabbeinu has gone to Paro. Paro has refused, which you would think that's the height of insolence and narcissism doesn't say that Moshe gets angry. So why does Moshe get angry over here? So Rashi says, because, because Pyro had the temerity to say, you should no longer see my face. You know, I would think uh, Moshe Rabbeinu would go like this. You know, like, woohoo, never get to see your face again. This is Gavaldic. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu getting angry? It's really uh, quite an interesting uh, expression of Moshe's Rabbeinu's emotions that the Torah is teaching us here. In addition to that, we have another question related to that point, and that is from the very beginning of Moshe going to Paro, maybe I should say towards the beginning, wasn't the very beginning of Moshe going to Paro, towards the beginning of Moshe going to Paro, Rashi tells us that Hashem clearly instructed Moshe that he needs to have kavod, respect for the kingdom of Paro, and he should display the kavod of a king. And therefore, when he goes to Pyro, he should talk to him respectfully. And here we are, after all this time, you know, where Moshe does a phenomenal job that you would think would be very difficult for him to hide um, his anger, his, uh, his hatred, his sarcasm. Right? You would think, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu would be saying, okay, Pyro, now what? You know, but instead, he deals with him seemingly with COVID. But finally, at the end, Pyro says, you should never see me again. And now is when Moshe Rabbeinu loses his cool. What about the fact that Hashem told him, you need to have kavod for the Malchus? What about that? Why does he just, you know, turn away in anger? That seems to be a very disrespectful thing. And in case you don't think that that is disrespectful, just ask yourself why sometimes that happens at the end of a particular type of conversation with our spouse.
it's a very disrespectful thing to walk out of the room, to slam the door, right? That sometimes could happen. And why is Moshe Rabbeinu doing that now? And then a concluding question is that the Torah then gives us two sentences. This is chapter 11, sentence two, where Hashem says to Moshe, power is not going to listen to you so that I can increase my miracles. I'm not going to go into the whole question of which miracles is that sentence referring to? But the next sentence says, by the way, Moshe and Aharon did all the miracles, all these signs in front of Pyro. Hashem strengthened the heart of Pyro, and he did not send out the Jewish people. So that's seemingly a completely unnecessary sentence, and it's also at the wrong time. It's basically when they're all done, except for the plague of the firstborn. What's the Torah telling us here in this concluding sentence? Moshe and Aharon did all the miracles in front of Pyro. Uh, first of all, Hopefully we've been paying a little attention and knowing that that's the case. So we don't need that information. And second of all, why is it specifically right here when, you know, we're, we're just about finished, but not quite finished. So Rashi tells us a very interesting comment that this sentence, which says that Moshe and Aharon did all of the miracles. He says that that sentence is right next to the mitzvah of Kiddush HaChodesh, sanctifying the new moon. And so comes along Rashi and tells us the reason that the Torah emphasizes that Moshe and Aharon did all these miracles is to explain to you that in the next sentence, when it says, Hashem said to Moshe and Aharon, that this month it will be for you the first of all the months, tell the Jewish people, etc., etc., that Aharon was included in that dibor, that speaking of this mitzvah, because Aharon and Moshe both worked hard together to perform the miracles in front of power. Now, there's so much about this that's interesting. First of all, why is this the mitzvah now? It's a really you know, good question in general. Why is the first mitzvah, the mitzvah of sanctifying the new month? But what does it really mean that the Torah wants us to understand clearly why Aharon is included? And the reason that Aharon is included is because he worked hard like Moshe to do all these miracles. Well, what do these miracles have to do with sanctifying the new month? I mean, I get it. If you want to say, uh, you know, doing Hashem service, you know, brings a person closer to Hashem. Okay, that's great. You know, that's in whatever way it does. Why should it be specifically in the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, which the Torah is very clearly juxtaposing to this idea that Moshe and Aaron performed all the miracles. Why is that somehow a connected reality? The fact that Moshe and Aaron did all these miracles, that's why we have a mitzvah of Kiddush HaChodesh and Moshe and Aaron are included in that communication by Hashem regarding the mitzvah of sanctifying the new moon. So I'd like to begin with something that I think we all know to be a reality, but let's kind of embellish on the concept from the words of the rabbis. First of all, an explicit sentence in the Torah that really speaks of this truth and that is in Parshas Vayetze. Towards the end of the 20 years that Yaakov is working in Lavan's house, the Torah tells us that Yaakov notices that Lavan is no longer looking at him the same way. Okay, I'll, I'll get you the exact quote. Uh, this is before Yaakov speaks to his wives and tells them, you know, listen, it's time to go. 
chapter 31 in Bereshit sentence 2, Yaakov sees the face of Lavan and behold, it is not with him like yesterday or the day before. That's a, that's a, that's a whole sentence in the Torah. So what is the Torah telling us about facial recognition? A lot. A person can, I, mean, I know Yaakov was a very wise man, <coughs> but if the Torah is telling us that the way Yaakov knows that Lavan no longer thinks of Yaakov the same way, or is that he has a different sense of his relationship with Lavan, is by looking at Lavan's face that tells you that a tremendous amount about the status of a relationship can be ascertained simply by looking at the face of the other person. Now, obviously, the question is, what does that mean? If I see um, a person, let's say person A looking at person B, and I look at their face, am I going to see what they think of me when they're looking at the other person? No. So it means when they're looking at me. So there's almost an incredible metaphysical reality that happens in the facial recognition of two people that there's a space between them that is built upon the expression, the eyes, the way that a person looks. That tells you a tremendous amount of importance that we have to pay attention to a person's face and that the face is really the window of the understanding of the dynamic of the relationship. Hence, the rabbis also teach us in Pirkei Avos, in Ethics of Our Fathers, that every man should receive the face of another man well, the saver panim yafos. Right? Every person has to really have kind of uh, pleasant, open countenance in receiving someone else's face. So there's a tremendous thing that happens in face-to-face -face communication and that we can really tell the way one person looks at the other, the, the, the mood, so to speak, and the dynamic of the relationship. So I believe what the Torah is telling us here when it says, the Paro says to Moshe, you will no longer see my face. It means that our communication relationship is over. And that means that our relationship is over. Let me bring you a beautiful proof to that. One of the brachos that we say in Birchas Kohanim is, Yisa Hashem Lacha. Hashem should lift his face to you. Says Rashi, what does it mean for Hashem to lift his face to us? It means that Hashem should restrain and withhold his anger. It's going to happen, especially when there's misbehaviors in a relationship between us and Hashem. It's going to happen that there's going to be anger. Why is the way to express that Hashem should withhold his anger by saying Hashem should lift his face to you? Because when you're angry at someone, you don't want to look at them. That's an expression. I'm so angry, I can't even look. I was so angry at him, I couldn't even look at him. Why is that? I mean, I think this is really the deep understanding of that. And then we're going to go back to Tyra on the whole story. Because, first of all, the rabbis tell us, just like people don't think their minds are unique from one another, so to their facial countenance. People don't have the same thinking. They don't have the same facial expression. Because what we think gets expressed through the face. You know, that's... Uh, 
obviously sometimes uh, <clears throat> our wives are telling us what we feel um, by looking at our face, but really it's true by everyone. It's just, we have to um, try to really adapt ourselves well to being sure that we're feeling properly and that we're expressing our facial expressions properly. And so the idea that we have our thoughts that get expressed through our face is another way of saying that the image in which we are created in Hashem's image is getting expressed through the face. Doesn't get expressed through the hand. I know there's something called palm reading. Okay, whatever. It doesn't get expressed through the hand this way, right? It doesn't get expressed nearly as well in any part of our body as it does through the face. That's where the image of Hashem mostly gets demonstrated through our face, which is why we talk about the faces on the Merkava, on the divine chariot. Now, as we have spoken about in a couple other shir, and we didn't really speak about it so much here on the Friday shir, but the, I'll just mention it because I think it's very relevant to what we're talking about. There's a, a question of the age of Moshe Rabbeinu that the Torah says that Moshe Rabbeinu was 80 before the beginning of the plagues. I put out a short video on this. And then later we find that Moshe Rabbeinu leaves seemingly after his next birthday, which should mean that Moshe is 81 when he leaves. But really, we know that Moshe Rabbeinu dies at 120. And if that's the case, that means Moshe should have left Egypt when he's 80 and not 81. So without getting technical in that whole problem now, the way we understand is that Hashem was sending Moshe to speak to Paro not one time, but for a series of meetings. And that communication was not over until after the plague of darkness, until these sentences that we just referred, where Moshe is now warning him of the impending plague of the death of the firstborn. That's when that conversation is over. And what that really tells us is that a process takes time and that until the whole process is done, the communication has not happened. And for our purposes today, <coughs> it also tells us that there can come a time when the process is over, it did not work, and yes, the relationship is over. That can happen too. And that is what's happening in Moshe Rabbeinu's communication with power. And the question is, why does that set Moshe off? Why does that get Moshe angry that it's true that there's no longer an avenue by which to communicate with Paro that Paro can hopefully change and be different? And the answer is because the mission of the Jewish people that Hashem gave to them, and specifically Moshe and Aharon, in this whole Egypt story is to make Paro and the Egyptians aware of the face of Hashem. And this is the key. This is really the key. A face doesn't impose itself. It just is. It just is. A person's face just is. The question is, how do we receive that face? Are we open to understanding what that face is expressing? And when it comes to the face of Hashem, Hashem also does not impose himself. The question is, how do we human beings choose to see the face of Hashem? Are we looking for his presence? As the you know, rabbis enjoin us to try to do on a constant basis, should be Hashem on every summit. says, Are we seeking to really see the face of Hashem? And what Hashem wants from humanity is to choose to see the face of Hashem, not for Hashem to go like this in our face. That's not the point. Hashem wants us to simply see the reality. 
And when Hashem sends Moshe and Aharon to Paron to the Egyptians and to the Jews, it's to get people to begin to see the reality differently, the reality that already exists, that it should be clear that there's a creator, that we of course know of the existence of Hashem through the four Adam and Noah and the forefathers, etc. <coughs> so what happens is that the mission of presenting the face of Hashem to the world becomes the mission of Moshe and Aharon, and ultimately with the redemption becomes the mission of the Jewish people. That is the way that Hashem's face should get to be known in the world. And that's the responsibility that Moshe and Aharon took upon themselves, was to be, so to speak, the face of Hashem, to bring the face of Hashem to the world. And Moshe is angry because Paro is rejecting it. And there's really no good reason for power to reject it. Sure, we know the selfish reasons. He wants to stay in power. He wants his view of you know, the world to be his own, etc. We know that. But when it's so obvious that Hashem is giving so many opportunities for him to change and for him to just see reality differently, and he refuses, Moshe Rabbeinu is angry because that means that against Pyro's own interest, against the Egyptians' own interest, against mankind's own interest, Hashem's face will not be properly seen. And it's true, at this point, Moshe Rabbeinu does not need to give Pyro any respect. Because once Pyro closes the door on the communication, then the relationship is over. The responsibility to help Pyro has now changed because Pyro has made a very strong determination. You shall no longer see my face, to which Moses says, <clears throat> it's true, <clears throat> I will not continue to see your face. Now, it's interesting that the rabbi's interpretation of that, there are different Mishonim, Ramban offers another shot, but uh, the rabbi's interpretation is, I'm not going to come to you, you're going to come to me, which also changes the whole dynamic of the relationship, and it's a different kind of communication, an opening or closing of communication, and what, what Paro is really starting Moshe Rabbeinu was kind of finishing by saying, yeah, it will be permanently different. Even if you do come to see my face, it's going to be on a whole different basis. And that's uh, what it means. All your servants will come down to me. Now, in the practical world, this has many, many implications that are important. First of all, we do need to learn to read the signs of the faces of the people with whom we interact. Second of all, we certainly need to push for in-person communication even the FaceTime, Zoom communication where we can sort of see each other's faces does not compare to the in-person experience. And it allows for a whole different level of relationship to evolve with facial recognition. But also extremely important is the knowledge that when you refuse to look at someone or to see their face, you are ending the relationship. That's when it's over. In fact, if you wanna scream at someone, that's awesome. I mean, it would be better if you didn't have to scream at them, but that's much better than saying, I'm not communicating with you, right? But in addition to that is being open to someone doesn't just mean being in the same room with them and quote unquote looking at them. It means really seeking to understand what their face is expressing and giving them the tacit understanding that their existence is important to you and you are open to hearing their point of view and what they want to say. Now, of course, when the other party only wants your destruction, 
the relationship is over and you must self-protect and even go on the offensive if that's the truth of who the other person is. That's called somebody coming to kill you, you wake up earlier to go kill them. But hopefully we avoid that by having real open communication before that. Now what's incredible that I realized based on the juxtaposition of the sentences is that we, the Jewish people, are taught that we get to receive the face of Hashem. <clears throat> when is that? And we say it once a month by Kiddush HaChodesh. When we sanctify the new month, the rabbis say, if the Jews would only be privileged to see the face of Hashem, to receive the face of Hashem, I should say, once in a month, that would suffice for them. The truth is we get many more opportunities than that because every holiday is called seeing the face or receiving the face of Hashem. We say that by all the shalosh regalim, right? So what is really being taught here is that when we become the face of Hashem to creation and we put ourselves on the line to go to Paro, to go to Mitzrayim and to tell them, hey guys, God is real, wake up and smell the nature, so to speak, we get the privilege of receiving the face of Hashem through the sanctification of the new moon, which determines when we get to have private audiences with Hashem face to face. That's what the holidays are. And so therefore Rashi is telling you that the Torah juxtaposes the idea that Moshe and Aharon together worked hard and went through all this rigmarole to go to Paro again and again to bring the truth of the face of Hashem to Paro and to Mitzrayim and as a reward they get credited to be the ones to hear the communication from Hashem directly that I will have a face-to-face -face relationship with the Jewish people permanently. It's called sanctification of the new moon. Now, one of the beautiful reasons why the moon specifically is the way to see the face of Hashem is because the moon is the absorbed light of the sun. The moon looks at the sun and the moon becomes filled with light. We receive the face of Hashem and we become filled with light. It's not the, the sun exists. The sun is, you know, the only question is, are you going to see it? Are you going to look at it? Are you going to absorb from it? Are you going to grow from it? Are you going to be able to photosynthesize from it? That's what our relationship with Hashem, that's what it needs to be. So the idea that the Jews are entrusted with recognizing the new moon and the importance of the moon in creation, and that that itself leads to the establishing of all Jewish calendar dates, and therefore when all holidays fall and take place, that is a way of saying that the Jewish people will always have face-to-face -face communication with Hashem. But it's built on this idea that we went through the process, we took it upon ourselves through Moshe and Aaron to bring the existence of Hashem, his facial, so to speak, recognition to the world. And so that's why it's so, so important for all of us, especially those of us that uh, have public platforms but even for those of us that only have platforms with our family, and arguably that's an even more important public platform, to remind everyone 
that the goal is to recognize the truth of Hashem's existence and develop a relationship with Him. And remember, Hashem is not speaking manifest loud all the time because that would literally be like putting your face in front. You know, babies do that sometimes, you know, to get the attention because they're being ignored. They go like this so that you can't avoid seeing that, right? If HaKadosh Baruch Hu would do that, then uh, yeah, we would see it, but it would be very imposing and we would not be happy about that and we would feel like we want to reject that. <coughs> Instead, Hashem lets us have free choice. Hashem lets us choose to, to see him and the Jewish people took it upon themselves to constantly be the bearers of that message when it seems like the rest of creation is forgetting. And so I think that's why the Torah very strongly emphasizes the face of Paro and it's saying that the relationship and the process of speaking to Paro is at an end. Moshe is upset about that because it really means the end of Egypt, which is what happens because people who choose to live outside of the existence of Hashem, they ultimately do fail and they ultimately will disappear into oblivion. But uh, that's why Hashem, Moshe is angry. It's also what gives him license to be angry and to walk out because at the end of the day, Paro lost his right to be in a communication relationship with Moshe uh, and Moshe as the proxy of Hashem. And because of that, uh, Moshe does not any longer need to treat him with respect. So the beauty of the way the Torah teaches us this message is that, you know, we, we sometimes have uh, difficult people, at least in our minds, that we think we're dealing with. And um, if Moshe has to go the miles with communication with Pyro and the Egyptians, right? Moshe and Aaron have to do that. We certainly have to do at least that with all the people that uh, we have an opportunity to hopefully help and bring them more into the awareness of the existence of Hashem. And we are, we're tempted very often to cut off relationships with people because it's too much work and it's difficult and <clears throat> we feel like we don't know how to deal with them. But I think what's really important is to remember that our main message as Jews is to help people find their own relationship with Hashem. And if we do that, then God will and we get the, this kind of communication with Hashem that Moshe and Aaron got, which is represented very well by the idea of sanctifying the new moon. So let's take uh, questions or comments. Yes, Aaron Yehuda, raised hand. Astonishing sheer. Uh, I, I just want to encourage everybody to go into the archives and listen to, to prior Shurim, because this is an extraordinary take on, on something that has been covered over the years by, by you and, and, and your father. And the, the sense of uh, face, you know, covering so many places uh, as the panemius, as the essence. So, you know, people say, look at somebody's face you kind of see their essence the, their true nature comes out uh, you 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 can't help but connect to them or relate as as you mentioned previously in the case of the two keruvim the angels on top of the ark and the significance when they look at each other and when they look away from each other and how Hashem communicates with us showing that that that, that we have to relate and be harmonious which is kind of a counterpoint to, to this and uh the other thing that comes to mind and i don't know if it's off base is that you know hashem did breathe the breath of life into us so it comes to mind at a very shallow level that we must have been face to face when that happened although it's kind of anthropomorphic to, to say hashem has a face like we have a face i mean he has an essence 
I guess that I can understand it, but at, at a very basic level, the 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 mechanics, if you look at it that way, would, would be that this was a face to face event that, that that gave us the breath of life and 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 shows that connection. So uh, uh, again, I just encourage everybody to go to the prior shurim where these things are are more more eloquently and 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 completely discussed. And I just mentioned. But there, there's a wealth of information, treasure in those archives and in those prior audiences where, where these things are discussed and would shed a lot more light on, on today's shear. Um, Irene Huda, that was beautiful. Uh, couldn't agree with you more. Um, and there's another whole level here. I mean, that that idea of we must have been face-to-face with Hashem is so so beautifully said. said. Um, but uh, there's really another whole level to all of this is how we change when we are face-to-face with Hashem. And, you know, we change when we're face-to-face with another human being and everything, you know, becomes different. I was speaking at great length with Dr. Finkelstein this week about that, and God willing, sometime we're going to do a podcast on that. But I'm sure <coughs> Dr. Patterson is going to enlighten us further on this. Unmute Dr. Patterson, Yeah. Yes, thank you, Rabbi. Um, but this is the this one runs. They all run deep, but man, this one is really going to the depths. I just one brief comment on uh, the face of Hashem. Uh, we it, Hashem doesn't have a face because we have a face. It's not an anthropomorphic projection. Rather, we have a face because Hashem has a face. We are a theomorphic projection of God. Uh, the face is, is tied to the calendar. The face is tied to time. Uh, when the face speaks, the face calls out to us as God calls out to Adam, Ayeka, where are you? Where are you? Uh, I'm reminded of the, the plague of darkness in which uh, no man could see the face of his brother. That's blindness. The, the the light unto the nations that we're summoned to be is a light that illuminates the face of the other human being, the face that forbids us to murder, the face that asks us for help, that cries out to us, where are you? That's where we, we encounter the face of God in the face of, of the one created in the image and likeness of, of God. Uh, how light does it have to be to put on to fill in? It's asked, you know, in the in the, the code of law, Shulchan Aruch, when it's light enough to see the face of your neighbor. If you can't see the face of your neighbor, you got no business dominating, right? If we're to the extent that we are blind to the face of our neighbor, God is deaf to our our prayers. So the the face is uh, is meaning the face is holiness. The face speaks. The face summons us. It's it's in the context of the face-to-face that the hineni comes to bear. Here I am for you. Uh, so th- th- there are so many levels of uh, this, your, your brief remarks. Uh, and uh, I, I've read many books along the lines of your remarks, Rabbi. So I just want to impress on everyone how how even more profound it is, this one is. 
<laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. The awesome feedback as always. And uh, I know I speak for everyone. What a pleasure it is to behold your face when you can join us. <laughs> and everyone's, but, you know, everyone is special. Uh, Rebuto. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, Rebuto, you want to go first? Uh, you, you, you want Joseph to go first? Just, uh, just, just a small comment. That, uh, it's a tremendous thing what you were talking about. Because you see, when Yaakov was sent to Esau, he said, Achapru, punav ah. I want to, and, and I, he didn't mention that. So I'm mentioning it. That, that was the perfect example <laughs> where he, he had this big problem with somebody. And the main thing is, I have to face him to be able to, whatever it is. And that's the truth. If you don't face somebody, you just text somebody or you do whatever else, it ain't going to work. And that's why I feel you gave a tremendous. Tremendous thing. Something like just a little joke in the side. Like my wife had says to me, don't look at me like that. I never understood what it meant until today. But now I understand. I have to just shut my eyes. Okay, thank you. But that's the main thing I just wanted to tell you that. I think had that meaning, what you were just Beautiful, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, thank you. Every week I'm giving you a lot of credit. Remember that. <laughs> you love thank, you, you. thank you. Thank you. Joseph. Yeah, so Sarah said, don't forget that you should call us. Yeah, just give me one second, Joseph. Let me put everyone on mute again, and then uh, and then please unmute again, okay? Please unmute again, Joseph. Hi, this was beautiful. And the comments uh, from Adrian and Dr. Patterson from Israel are just awesome. But for me, this was like a real practical application for day-to-day how how you approach any relationship because if you control your face you control your emotion so it can be more effective on um, building meaningful relationships you said that you have to to receive everybody with the white of its feet of the teeth like you have to open your heart to receive somebody but on the other hand you have to control the difficult situation and the easier way to control it is actually through your face, not to be overly reactive. And it so, gives you more time and more energy to to be effective. Yeah, so um, first of all, you, I think you're asking a question. And the question you're asking is, if we have to receive everyone with a kind of certain pleasantness, and very open, uh, what about uh, the way we feel, which might not be so pleasant and open. Um, but I think part of the answer is we really have to learn to separate our issues from the other person's issues. And then I think we can be more open. So it's a, it's a big avoda. It needs, I mean, it's a big job and it needs its own uh, probably dedicated hour because it's a very hard thing to do. It's a very significant aspect of shalom bias is knowing what's my issue what's my wife's issue and how can we help each other and not blame each other and be compassionate with the other and be open to helping even while we're struggling etc uh, in in secular um fields of study they do have different terminology for it but of course we, we love the Torah best and, and so i just think that the answer to your question is that we have to figure out how to do it even though it doesn't always feel so natural I don't think the answer is to just make pretend. Obviously, um, for the moment, if we, we are lost and we can't help ourselves, yeah, it's better to make a little pretend. Uh, but that's not a good long-term solution. 
So I think that that's the question you're asking. Uh, but yeah, it does, it does need a lot more work to know how to do this well. It's true. Uh, but finally, yeah, finally, finally, as Rebutal said, and I recently had this experience. I'm talking about recently, somebody got very upset at me and there was a whole uh, background story to it. And they sent me long messages about it. And I said, my only response to everything that you wrote is let's meet in person. And it took about two months until that meeting happened. And I can tell you, although the meeting didn't end perfectly, it definitely is much better than it could have been. Um, okay, thank you, Joseph. Uh, Rabbi Chiel, are you, are you good to go? Rabbi yeah, Chiel? I'm good to go. First of all, I just want to comment on uh, Dr. Patterson. Um, it was so powerful. I really got a feeling of what it meant when Claudiuswell was at Harsinai and they were thrown back three meals. That's how that's how I felt for what Rob, Dr. Patterson was saying about face. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, I just want to bring out interesting that you uh, also touch on Yidl, but I wanted those Pesukim themselves. You had mentioned about love and I saw the Panim, but you have these other two incidents with uh, Yaakov with Panim, and I wonder how they're related. First of all, he meets the Malach and he wrestles with them, and then it says, And then when he meets Esav, he says, um, uh, right, he says, You see by Yaakov, his, the idea upon him is appearing by Lovin, by the Malach, and by Esav. I wonder how they would be related. Even though Ravidal answered the really the third one, he has to see it. But I think there's, I guess, would there will be a deeper levels to it as well? Um, yeah, I'm sure there are, and I think it's an excellent point. What comes to mind for me is that Asav needs to exist, just like if you want to get a little cabalistic, the Malach Sam needs to exist. Uh, the Sar Lazazel also is given uh, giving recognition to Asav. So there is some, I think, panim uh, panim with Hashem that part of what uh, we need to reckon with in our relationship with Hashem is that for the time being, you know, things are not so, always so rosy and we need to deal with that head on. So ideally we reconcile and figure out what to deal with Esav and how to, you know, work out a better relationship. But I think that might be part of the struggle that Yaakov has with the Malach is that uh, yeah you know it, this is this is from Hashem that this is not simple. I think I think Rashi mentioned <clears throat> there by the Malach when he met Eisav he was trying to tell him that I already saw your Malach looked like you and I want him so you should be scared of me. Rashi said that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that, that's a Gemara. We're not discussing that aspect. Oh <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that is the second one, and and it, it's true that yeah, obviously that is one way to understand the pasuk. But I, I think if you go back to Peniel, uh, the idea that it's panim al panim with Hashem, that also specifically at that time, right before meeting Asa, the fact that he, you know, the Gid Hanasha is affected, I think it's 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 partially saying that uh, this is a matter of a spiritual difficulty, also, not you know, which we know. But anyways, definitely need to work on that more, and it's an excellent point. Any anyone else for today? I just have a couple of uh, just more more yes. mundane practical thoughts on how yes, to greet sir. people. Because in the Mishnah, it says that you should greet your fellow. I guess the translation would be with a cheerful or countenance or whatever. 
And it doesn't say be happy to see them. Doesn't feel say it, you should feel good to see them. It says how you should present yourself when you see them. So, so I, I can think of two things. Number one, maybe if we're in a bad mood, that's no pretext to greet people in a way that's going to make them uh, feel negative or think that there's something going on. We we have a, a responsibility in communicating with others and how how. Uh, so they don't think, what did I do? This person doesn't like me. And the second thing is that according to, to a lot of the neuroscience and the neurolinguistic programming, a person's mood and internal processes are affected. So if a person smiles, you know, they say it takes fewer muscles in your face than to frown, and that eventually not only does it impact the person to whom you're smiling because it's kind of contagious, but it also alters or elevates your mood a little bit, although it's from the outside in. So I, I think that, and, and it's certainly a much easier discipline to, as they say, put on a happy face. I'm not saying one should be insincere or phony, but, but apparently it, it has genuine effects on the other person that are positive and is also helpful for the person who makes the effort to smile and eventually it, 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 it impacts their internal state of mind as well. So uh, I, 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 I just think it's very important. And it, it underscores the importance of this face-to-face -face business, how powerful it is that it actually makes make uh, affects things at all those levels, in addition to the higher levels that you that you mentioned. No, I think you I think you make an excellent point. And Ari Marinelli also made some great points on, on the chat. And he was saying, um, you know, if you're not in the mood, do it anyways. He made, he made some other points before that, which are also, you know, terrific. Uh, but you're right. Functionally speaking, we have a responsibility and we can change very much the dynamic of a conversation by by preparing ourselves, you know, properly, you know, from the outset and having a, a better approach. So this is awesome, everyone. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, I hope everyone has a beautiful Shabbos and I look forward to uh, God willing, seeing everyone next week. Shabbos. Shabbos. Shabbos.